When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. <laughs> Hi friends, how are you? The funniest thing about this this moment right now for me is that I'm recording it outside my office because I'm sharing it with my husband and his writing partner today. And so they're working on something out loud and I need to work on this podcast out loud. And so I stepped outside and it happens to be like rush hour traffic. So hopefully you'll get to hear all the honks uh, and sounds of the wild intersection that we live at. Anyway, you might not realize that's funny or know why that's funny. I don't know if it's funny. Ha 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 ha. So funny traffic. Eve's outside honking. Just trust me. All right. The opening. This is how this goes. How are you? How did it get to be the end of July already? Um, my kids, they're going to start school again in two weeks. So from like a parenting perspective uh, and, and like as the parent who has to make sure there's childcare for my family while the parents work. I can appreciate a brief summer, but as a human who was once a child and would like to see my kids have more fun and adventure in life in general, summer in the Los Angeles public school system is entirely too short. It is going to be so hot in two weeks when we start school. I mean, among other reasons why it's miserable to start August 14th. But anyway, this podcast is not about the seasons or school calendars. It's about DNA discoveries. Does anybody here read the book? Has anybody here ever read the book or know the series about duck and goose? It's for children. It's like these little board books. And there's one called It's Time for Christmas. And duck is yelling at goose. And he goes, duck, it is not time for making snowballs. Duck, it is not time. Anyway, I read it in like a very specific way every time to my kids. And for some reason, I feel like I'm saying that right now. This is not a podcast about the seasons. This is not a podcast about school calendars. It's about DNA discoveries. It's about the surprises that come at you when you have done a mail-in DNA kit just for fun because they were on sale on Ancestry.com and their commercials just finally got to you. It's about learning that at least 50% of your existence and sometimes 100% is not what you thought it was. This podcast is about the unraveling of origin stories. Whoa, have I ever said that before that way? The unraveling of origin stories. That's good. Someone help me remember that. My name is Eve Sturgis. I'm an NPE. That means a non-paternal event. It means I found out as an adult that the man who raised me, the man I call dad, is not my biological father. We're not related at all. It was a bummer. It was a lot of things. (laughs) It was a bummer is funny or or silly way to describe the experience. It was a lot of things. But uh, it thrust me into the new world of learning about this phenomenon, of learning about a community of people going through the same thing. Uh, And it launched me into launching this podcast. So here we are. 
Jill is my guest today. She's also an NPE. She already had had a big story before her DNA discovery. Uh, her story was so big that she had already written a, a small memoir about it called When the Apple Falls Far From the Tree, Discovering the Gifts Within the Chaos. And doesn't that sound like an NPE book? When the Apple Falls Far From the Tree. I When I saw that she had written that, I assumed that was her book about her DNA discovery. It's not. It's pre-discovery. So that gives you something to think about. Uh, then she found out she wasn't a part of that tree, the tree she's not talking about. Um, it's funny. Anyway, it's not funny. It's funny and it's not funny. She knows what I mean. Um, I had a fun time with Jill. She's so nice. And uh, she, tells, she, tells, she tells her story well. I'll just let you experience it for yourself. Thanks for listening to Everything's Relative. You're my second guest this season with a pen name. It's very exciting. Ooh. <laughs> very exciting to open. Maybe it's up and coming. Yeah. yeah. Opening to this world of pseudonyms. It's giving me something to think yeah, about. I tell, I'm telling you, I, I've embraced it. You know, my last name is obviously Krizinovich and nobody can ever say it. And mm -mm. if somebody wanted to look me up, they're certainly not going to be able to spell it. So it's like, you know, I got to embrace this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for meeting with me today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm very excited about this. This is my first official talk about it. Oh, oh wow. Really? Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. good because I, you know, um, like I said, I was looking over your stuff a little bit this morning and I couldn't, um, there's nothing, there wasn't anything in the just initial Instagram, you know, Instagram account and on your website, there wasn't um, mm -hmm. much about DNA discoveries. So I, I am currently writing my second memoir which will be obviously a sequel to the first. And um, I'm not going to be um, publishing till probably later this fall, but um, part of the legwork that I need to do for it is owning the story and sharing it. Um, I feel that I get stuck in my writing. So I'm looking forward to putting it out into the open air. I think that's going to let my pen flow a lot easier because the story will have already been shared. It won't be news to the world. So this is kind of the step in my trajectory into how I'm going to, I'm about 90% done with the book. So this is just going to give me that green light to finish it up and kind of put it out there in the world, if you will. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's exciting. I feel, I feel honored <laughs> to be a part of the journey. Aww. That's cool. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, so how do you fit into the DNA discovery community? Tell me, tell me what, what either what, you know, you can start by telling me what your life was like and how you grew up and what and then what happened or work your way backwards, however you want to do it. I'm here to workshop it with you. All right. Sounds good. So let me just start by saying I'm 48 years old right now. I made my discovery just about two years ago in the summer of 2021. And I guess the easiest place is to go back to the very beginning. So I had a pretty horrific childhood, and that is putting it lightly. Uh, I had a, a terrible mother and a father who was um, very much an alcoholic. And so my parents were very incapable of being the parents that my brothers and I needed as young children. Um, I should say they were both um, alcoholics. And my mother was very promiscuous and void and always gone. And my father was trying to do the best that he could in raising us with her being gone all the time. And it was just um, a terrible way of living. And that lasted until I was about six or seven years old. 
Um, and I do want to state that during that time, my father did end up getting physically abusive. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much where the detachment from my parents started for me personally as a child. I, I knew, even though I was a child growing up and living in that environment, I innately knew that this is not how it's supposed to be. I didn't want to be there. I, you know, had an imaginary world. And luckily I had wonderful grandparents on both sides. So I would spend as much time at their houses as I possibly could. So they ended up divorcing when I was about six or seven years old, which wasn't a bad thing because obviously their relationship was quite toxic. However, the man that then entered the picture uh, was way worse than anything we could have ever imagined. Mm. My mother remarried. My mother remarried a true monster who was physically abusive to her. And we watched a lot of things we shouldn't have seen as small children. And it was just terrible. And at this point, we were visiting with my father on Saturdays only. Um, you know, we had the cops at our house pretty much every day as young children. The neighbors would call and anybody who could hear the fighting going on. And it, it was just brutal for years. It lasted way longer than it should have. Um, during this time, um, a few years went by and I was about 10 or 11 years old. And I remember this is where my NPE story actually begins. So I remember having an argument with my mother and I was basically threatening her and telling her that I was going to go live with my father, that I was done with this crazy life. And, you know, how could she do this to us? And my mother, who was highly intoxicated and um, God only knows what else, said to me, go ahead, he's not your father anyway. And she actually followed it up with a name of the man that she was, you know, this such and such is probably your father anyway. Now, I have to preface this with my mother was mentally ill. I didn't know that till much later, but she was mentally ill and she was an alcoholic and she was a narcissist. And I did, of course, try to have a conversation with her the next day and ask her about it. And according to her, that conversation never happened. She didn't know what I was talking about. And it was literally never spoke of again. Now, as a 10, 11 year old child, I clearly had this in the back burner of my mind, but I just didn't give it a lot of fuel. I did joke about it, however, because this, this man's name that she mentioned, I actually knew the family and actually one of his children was in my circle of friends. So I can remember like, a couple of years later, as a teenager, I was at the same party as this kid and I was trying to be cool. And I was like, hey, we could be related. You know, my mom used to mess around with your dad. Jokingly, not at all understanding the ramifications of that or what that meant as far as genealogy. None of that stuff. Just in a casual, very casual, you know, joking type thing. Well, I did end up going to live with my dad right about that time. Um, you know, after she had dropped that little bomb to me, I went to my father's. I tried to live there. It didn't work out. He was also remarried. He had a wife with four children. They were in a small house. We were never close after the um, physical abuse that it endured when I was a little girl. We were just never close. And I, I always could tell, like a lot of people say, I could always tell there was something off. I just couldn't put my finger on it. So I moved in with my grandmother, which actually happened to be his mother, my grandma on his side. And I emancipated myself from my parents when I was 13 years old. I wow. went through the courts. You were 13? I went through the courts. 
Mm -hmm. Can you believe it? I went through the courts and I became a ward of the court and my I lived with my grandmother, but the government essentially paid her money to take care of me. And basically, I cleared myself from my unfit parents at that time. Now, I should go on to say that I had on and off relationships with both my mom and my dad throughout my whole life, all the way up until, you know, fairly recently, where we would talk for a few years, we wouldn't talk for a few years, because there was always some, you know, crazy drama going on and such. Um, So I lived with my grandmother. um, And I lived with that little nugget that was in the back of my mind and kind of went on with my life, you know. Um, Now, I have to put another little disclaimer here. And this is what makes it a little bit weird in that my youngest brother, who is three and a half years younger than me, is also an NPE. But he was public knowledge. We all knew that my dad knew he wasn't his dad. It didn't really get spoken about. But my mother, like, told him the whole story. She told him who his dad was. She didn't deny it afterward. So I also had in the back burner of my mind well, if I wasn't NPE like my brother is, she would have just admitted it and told me the story. She had no shame in admitting it about my other brother. So right. she probably was just lying that day. You know, she was just yeah. lashing out at me, trying to be hurtful. So so my dad had already had one son that he knew wasn't his, but was raising him like his own anyhow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he chose to do that. So I literally spent the next years of my life, you know, the next two decades, if you will, building a case for my dad being my dad. He had light eyes. I had light eyes. His mother, my grandmother, ended up having a um, having cancer of the head and neck. I later in life had cancer of the head and neck. My father was a musician, could play many instruments. My youngest daughter came up the pipe and could read sheet music and play instruments, like literally building the case for okay, clearly I can let that that notion go. You know, my mother was just being a jerk that day. You know, my dad must be my dad. To the point that in 2013, I was diagnosed with a rare head and neck cancer. And it was very perplexing to the doctors and stuff. And I had to do an extremely extensive health history. And neither one of my parents, of course, took that opportunity to say, well, wait a minute, we better have a talk. Right. Nor did I. Nor did I. I mean, I gave Mm -hmm. them my raised dad's health history information, including his mother's cancer diagnosis verbatim as if it were mine. I didn't even, you know, that that little seed that had been planted so long ago was just not there. It it wasn't leading me. It wasn't at the surface. So I just kind of went on with my life. I mean, it feels to me, not that you're asking me to defend you or you're being too hard on yourself, (laughs) but with, with a rare head and neck cancer, when it's then in the family, how could you not, how could that not be just like the, the seal on the deal? Like, yeah. Okay. Like it's official. Thank you. Thank you. I yeah, mean, I just, like no more reason. Yeah. 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 Like it just seems like of all the, all those examples you just gave are exactly the things people give when we're talking about genetic mirroring. So of course those would be, those are all great uh, pieces of evidence <laughs> that you yes, were yes. related. I, I had some great I'm evidence. With I'm yes. with you. I'm like with you, like you were definitely okay, yeah. obviously related to this guy. Yes. Yes. Okay. So thank you. So fast forward to 2020. Now, um, I'm estranged from my father again. I hadn't talked to him in a couple of years and my mother passes away. She literally 
drank herself to death and died of liver cirrhosis at the ripe age of 67 years old. We hadn't spoken for four years prior to her death. I had already done the cord cutting and was sending love from afar. I didn't attend her funeral. Mind you, all this, and she lives one mile down the road for me. And I had to, to live like this, you know, for four years, hoping not to run into her at the grocery store or such. I mean, talk about just awkward. And in 2020, that's when I started writing my first memoir to basically tell, you know, tell the world about all of these crazy things I had lived through and how I made it to the other side, because I started feeling like my life has got to be a manual for somebody else, because this, you just can't even make the stuff up that, you know, the things just kept coming and coming. And um, I realized that I was absolutely nothing like my parents. And I held guilt because my brothers got caught up in that lifestyle. You know, my youngest brother went to prison, you know, repeated a lot of the same stuff that we grew up in. And I always held guilt for what, how was I so different? Why was I so different? That's interesting. Uh, you know, I've heard various parts of this story before through other people, but I've, that might be the first time I've heard about like survival's guilt of being different mm -hmm. a little bit. Like, um, I just want to say that's really interesting. That's an interesting perspective I hadn't thought about was not, not just, um, not just like wonder, like, why, why am I different from everybody or gratitude? Like, whoa, at least I didn't turn out bad, but guilt, like you, yeah, that's really something um, to look at. Yeah. Okay. For anyway. sure. For sure. So in 2020, I uh, finally said, after my mom passed away, I felt like it was the green light to finally know my truth. For some reason, it all resurfaced. I wasn't talking to my dad. I literally was in the mind frame of, geez, Louise, I cannot be from these people. How am I part of this family? These people cannot be my parents. And I know had I made this discovery when my mother was still alive, she would have very much made it about her and she would have blown it out of proportion. And so I had to wait till she passed to do it. So I reach out to my older brother because in my mind, I just want to do like a sibling test to find out, are we 100% or half brother and sister? Because he is clearly my father's um, child. And when I tell you, I didn't even like go on Ancestry.com. I had no idea what the website looked like. I didn't know what it entailed. I had seen uh, an ad pop, it, pop up through Facebook or something. I clicked on it. I ordered two boxes. They showed up. And my brother and I took them. We mailed them out about a week apart from each other. And then I kind of sat back and waited. And in my mind's eye, I really thought like this report was going to show up and be like, he's your brother or he's your half brother. Like I wasn't thinking about anything else. So one night I'm sitting home alone and I get the infamous ding, your ancestry results are ready. It's like eight o'clock at night. I'm home alone. My husband is out. Of course. Isn't that the way it always goes? Mm -hmm. I click to open it. And of course, it like takes me to the Ancestry site. And there's like all these tabs that I'm like, I don't even know what the hell I'm looking for at this point. And I also realize in my mind, well, my brother doesn't even have his yet. So I'm thinking when it takes me there, oh, there's not going to be anything that says if a brother or full siblings because his aren't in yet. But I'll navigate a little bit, you know, I'll, right. I'll, I'll monkey around down here. So, of course, I click the pie chart to see what I'm made up of. And basically, it's like, you know, Polish and Irish. And 
And that wasn't like, I expected that. I knew that was in my bloodline. I was a little bit inquisitive about where the German roots were because my father prided himself on being German. But I literally made an excuse in my head like, oh, yeah, this is how these stories go. These people think they're one thing and they're really not that at all, you know? So again, didn't think anything of it. Totally. Poland is close to Germany. And then I saw at the top of the tab, see your DNA matches. And like literally at that very second, I was like, oh, duh, other people in the family might have taken this test. Like never, ever thought that I was spending this much money to get this much information. I was like, oh, let me go ahead and click on that. So I click on the DNA matches and literally before my eyes populates all of these people with the man's name that my mother gave me when I was 11 years old. Wow. He was my father's best friend back in the day. And not only was he my father's best friend back in the day, but they grew up as neighbors. So the grandparents' house that of the grandparents, the grandma who raised me, my actual biological grandparents lived right next door my whole life. Oh my gosh, Jill. <laughs> That's wild. So I am literally like, oh my God, who knew this? You know, we knew about my little brother. Did these people know that I potentially belonged to this family? And I, I want to relate it to when I was a young kid, I, I almost drowned. And I had one of those little experiences that everybody talks about where your life flashes before your eyes. I was in Lake Erie. I was getting sucked under. I thought I was taking my last last breath and I saw all these flashes and I was young, probably nine years old, but I saw all these flashes. The next thing I know, I was being rescued by somebody and pulled on ashore. But I'll never forget how crazy that experience felt. I felt like I was you know, not going to come to. And when I saw those names populate there, it felt exactly the same every piece of evidence that was there in my life that I pretended wasn't just as, as I build a case for my raised dad being my dad. It was like all of the evidence I chose to ignore was boom, 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 boom. It was just like flashing before my eyes. And I had that feeling of disgust and validation all at once, you know, and I, I think I'm, I've been writing about my experience and I, I think I wrote it something like, I couldn't tell if my world was being flipped upside down or right side up because that's exactly what it felt like. Like both were happening simultaneously. I was like, oh my God, thank God. I, I knew it. I knew it all along. And at the same time, I couldn't help but think about all the people who may have been lying to me and covering up. And, you know, was I truly the last one to know? Or did these people not have a clue? Did my grandmother who raised me all these years know that her bestie next door was my actual grandmother? And these are things I I may never, never know the answer to. Right. That's another phrase. You've now second time described something in a new way to me that I think is so relatable, but, you, but you know, unique to you and, and this talk today, but to say disgust and validation um, is really uh, on, I don't know, on point, really vivid, really, um, God, yeah, I wish... You know, we talk so much on the show, especially about having to hold multiple things at the same time. And um, that one, like, has not come up. That's a good one. Good one. And not to discount my story because I had an inkling, but like, you know, when I did go to my brothers with the truth, they were like, 
well, we kind of thought you always knew. I mean, they didn't know the truth. Nobody had told them, but when they weren't like as shocked, they were like, well, mm-hmm. you're shocked. Didn't you kind of always know? And I said, maybe it, the seed had been planted in me, but I can assure you that seeing those results on the screen that day felt like the carpet was pulled out from mm-hmm. under me. My world went spinning. Like, you know, you have so many what ifs. What if I had known this four decades ago? What if this family knew that I actually belonged to them? Could they have rescued me from that household? Did I really belong there? You know, like, of course, all of these things are natural. You know, I expected that I was going to be going through all of those things, but I also knew that I wasn't meant to know my truth until now when I could handle it, when my mother was passed. You know, I believe in the divine timing of all things. I know not everybody is that way, but I do. And for whatever reason, I was finally handed this truth now. So I relate to that. I won't get into my story, but I really relate to that of sort of recognizing that there might not have been a better time in life. Yeah. And that's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. yeah, Despite complications and details that I don't like or, you know, wish were different, but, um, but a number of people agree, you know, even volunteered that into me saying like, wow, I'm really amazed this has happened now. You're in such a good place now. You know, I might not have been able to handle Mm -hmm. it if it were closer to my cancer journey, or like I said, if my mother was still here, but it's just like you said, uh, you know, you, you often talk about nodding along and believe me when I found the NPE world and all of the podcasts that you lovely people do for us. Uh, I can't believe how much I nod along. And I often make my husband or my daughters listen to snippets or bits and pieces because it is so freaking crazy how relatable it is that these stories are all unique and different. Yet the theme and all of them is exactly the same, you know, and people will be like, you know, they'll say things to me like, well, you can't be that surprised. We always knew you didn't fit in. And I'm like, well, listen, I am freaking surprised. <laughs> and I'm no longer the person I thought I was. And this changes everything. And, you know, I'm, I mean, it's an identity crisis. I'm yeah. still going through it. I'm two years out. Um, so I, I basically had to come to terms with my mother didn't like me my whole life because I was her dirty little secret. And she looked at me and she just saw the shame that she was. And same thing with my other brother. And then my dad, I later learned after I found out, you know, the story and who my biological father confirmed and was that my dad did, in fact, know from from conception. And, um, you know, I think that's obviously why there was abuse when I was younger. You know, he was stuck at home taking care of her kids while she was out doing God only knows what. And he knew that she was sleeping around and there was a lot of resentment, you know, and I, I I haven't spoken with him, but I can only hope that, you know, maybe me discovering my truth has relieved him from having to carry that secret for so long. And, you know, maybe in some way he can understand that I, you know, have compassion to some degree that I understand that was a tough thing to carry all those years. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to think about like, being a young a young adult faced with that situation and and just not having the tools. Like no one here is defending or accepting or condoning abuse, but we're acknowledging the level of frustration and anger and um pain that 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 person was try, trying to manage. Um yeah, I'm sure it was a lot. And 
you know, again, a lot of these people back in the day, you know, you know, let's face it, the 70s were a good time. At least they were for my mother and her circle of friends. And, you know, the decision to for these men or women to take on others' children and think that, you know, it was the best decision at the time. And then, you know, maybe going on later in life and just not finding that window of opportunity to finally share the truth. You know, I, I know that everybody does it with the best in, of intentions. Let's face it. Nobody did it to be deceitful. And I really think there's some truth too, to, you know, all those years go by and people truly do start to believe their own lies. And I saw it with my mother. I mean, she could deny things till the cows came home. And, and I would say to myself, she's not acting. She really believes this lie. Like she has herself this convinced, you know, and, and I think, you know, lots of things are done with the best of intentions without thinking 50 years forward and, you know, DNA at home kits coming out and holy cow, if my whole town took one, I'm sure there would be a lot more surprised families around here. Let me tell you. I'm sure you're right. Yeah. So unfortunately for me, uh, I did reach out to my biological father because he and his um, two grown sons do live here in my area. One of which is is a uh, member of the circle of mine and my husband's friends. Mm -hmm. and, and your high school, um, and you have a high school alumni, a co high school party bro, whatever. <laughs> That's yeah, all I'm yeah, thinking about exactly. is that moment at the party. Oh my God! Thank God we didn't yeah. date. I know these people yeah. are like you know the, these are real fears. This is mm -hmm. what happens when this stuff goes down in your hometown. Um, and uh, unfortunately there's a lot of so much shame behind it that my biological father is, is having a really hard time. You know, he knows that I'm sharing. I mean, he, everybody's aware that I'm writing a memoir um, under my pen name with mm -hmm. alias names, obviously. Um, but I am sharing the story because like you, I just feel like, uh, look at, I've been chosen to go first in a lot of things. And the only thing we can do with what we're dealt is by sharing the tools we use to get to the other side and I'm I'm writing it, you know, as raw as it is, because I think people need to realize that this is not, you know, it's not as rare as we think it is. And, I'm, you know, I'm sure at this point it isn't in every single person's family to some degree. 100% agree with you. And that's not to say let's normalize it. Um, but the fact of the matter is it kind of needs to be normalized mm -hmm. because his his initial thing to me, his initial words to me were, um, you know, I have to digest this and let me talk to my sons. And if they're OK with it, we can move forward. And um, the sons are OK with it, but he's not. He never right. got past that. And and so because he can't verbalize it and talk about it to mm -hmm. his family, they're, you know, they're guarding his feelings and respecting his feelings. So in two years time, we've really not made any forward movement, which is very discouraging because mm -hmm. I've had a lifetime of rejection, you know, from my mom and dad and now from my biological father as well. Yeah. Yeah. Very that's got to be so frustrating. And how has it affected your, otherwise your, um, your, uh, hold on. I'm going to think about how to ask this question. Well, I guess I'll just say this. Like, so I, you know, looking over your stuff, you, you're an empowerment coach and you've written this book and um, the book you were writing was even before this, the previous book, right? The, the, which I thought was amazing because you didn't even say the title of the book yet, but the, the first book is called. It's called when the apple falls far from the tree. When I first saw the title, when the apple falls far from the tree, 
I thought, oh, that's that's her NPE story. And then I looked at the description and I was like, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't have it at all. I mean, none of that was under my belt when I wrote that book. It was literally being published. It was like at the printer's as I was uncovering um, all of this stuff. And I was like, holy cow, here is the first chapter to the next book. Mm -hmm. So how's it for your family? I have two adult daughters and um, my husband and all three of them has been extremely supportive. I think that they knew this was something that needed to be done. I think that they know, you know, for the, the, the fact of the matter is they have first cousins here in town that they don't even know because our families have not really met or meshed together. And, you know, I personally think that's bullshit. You know, like I can understand that my biological dad is in his seventies and he may not want to form any sort of relationship with me, but as far as my brothers and their kids are concerned, I think we should get to know each other. I mean, our kids, we're all in the same town, some of us. And, and, you know, moving forward, it's, I want to break the generational pattern. Um, I have another great story right here that I'll add, you know, my daughters, I think are, are fascinated because they've lived a pretty normal life here with my husband and I, you know, we've been together, we're high school sweethearts. My kids are pretty lucky. They've had a pretty normal um, life. And I think sometimes they're in disbelief when they hear these stories or, you know, like when my book came out and they were like, holy cow, you know, this was a lot more than we ever, ever knew about mom. But there definitely is generational, um, you know, patterns and trauma going on here. And I'm going to stop it. I don't want to be known as a dirty little secret or lie. I don't want them to ever have to go forward in their life explaining, well, my mom was a this last name, but really she was one of these, like, let's just put an end to that stuff right now. And I want to share with you one of the things that I uncovered. I told you my dad's mother had raised me and I was her healthcare proxy. So when she got up there in age, um, I was probably in my mid to late 20s and I had to make hard decisions when she was suffering in the end. And when she was on her deathbed, she made a deathbed confession to me um, and I was absolutely floored. She basically um, was raised a devout Irish Catholic. And so, you know, she believed in God and heaven and all of that stuff. And when she was getting ready to pass on, she was fearing death and I couldn't understand why. And so uh, she finally said to me, I don't want to go. I don't want to go there. And I kind of looked at her puzzled and I was like, what are you talking about? And she said, I don't want to go to the other side. I don't want to see your grandpa and I don't want to see my sister. And then she confessed to me. Basically, back in the 1950s, her sister had become pregnant. And back in those days, you didn't have a kid out of wedlock. So my grandpa said to her, you know, let's just adopt the baby and take the baby in as our own. My grandmother had had my dad and her other son, my uncle. And so she took in the baby girl and raised her as her own. Well, later in life, after my grandfather died, my grandmother learned that he was the father of her sister's child. And she hated them both and she hated the truth and she didn't want to have it. And she shared it with me. I had no idea. And you know, my dad, I watched my dad kind of process all that. He learned that his cousin was now really his half-sister. Everybody had questions like, oh my God, did my grandfather have an affair with her or did he force himself upon her? Nobody had the answers to that story. And so I had hoped that maybe 
that would have made my raised dad more compassionate to my situation, knowing what his mother went through in the end when she learned about the horror of the skeletons in their family. And then I thought like, you know, in the end, my dad, you know, kept his lips closed. He wasn't going to tell the secret. If I hadn't done the ancestry, I still would not have known, you know, and I just refuse to let that stuff go on and on repeating itself. I'm going to do whatever it takes to be the cycle breaker and say it stops with me. And as hard as it is, we're just going to deal with it. It is what it is. I mean, I get it. I'm not the one that has somebody coming to me. And that that leads me to another funny story. So, of course, after I took my ancestry, I bought it for my husband and my girls for Christmas. Like, okay. I'm in the system. Let's all get in there and start our family tree because, you know, because before we know it, they're going to be handing these tests out like candy. And I had to crack up because uh, my husband was in the service for a couple of years. So when when he opened his test, he kind of joked around and he said, I don't know. I better not take this test. You know, I was in the army for a couple of years and, you know, who knows what could have happened in that two years I was away when we were younger. And my girls started cracking up and they're like, "Uh, Dad. We're going to take the test. So if we have any half siblings out there, they're going to connect to us anyway. Good luck, buddy. <laughs> right, right. You can try. You can try and avoid it, but it's coming well, out. The truth still, is coming out. Still no coming matter, out. Yeah, yeah. One individual is not going to be able to hold back this information. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's kind of you know the point of all of us sharing our story and hopefully, you know, educating people with our scenarios that you know. In the end, the truth always does prevail. Let's face it. It may not happen in this generation. It may skip a generation, but ultimately is going to come to the surface. And especially now with, you know, they're solving crimes with DNA and we see what it's doing. And eventually we're all going to be in the system, whether we took the test ourselves or a sibling or, you know, a cousin or whatever. So, you know, we need to really take caution knowing that it's it's there and it's coming. Yeah. So now that you're two years into your process, do you feel like there's anything that you wished you had known uh, when you first made the discovery or or any advice you have for someone that's sitting in a place of disgust and validation? You know, I, I listen to these podcasts and I hear some people say they don't want to know. And I'm sure, you know, I came from a harrowing childhood. So getting validation that I wasn't of that situation you know, but if, if I were somebody who were, were raised by a mother and father who loved me dearly, maybe it would have been harder to face that truth. So I don't pass judgment on anybody for what they decide. Uh, you know, like you, I understand there are lots of perspectives and things going on here. But I would say that I ignored my intuition for a long time. And I was disappointed in myself in that I did that because I'm usually so good at following my own body and my own heart. And things told me these answers so many times. And so many times I chose to turn a blind eye myself. So the thing that I would share is that, you know, if if you feel like something is off, it's probably off. You know, if you if something's telling you something needs to be investigated, go investigate it. You know, I have no regrets. It changed everything. You know, like, like everybody says, nothing changed and everything changed. And boy, if that doesn't describe this process, I don't know what does because I'm still in it. I'm two years out and I'm still in it. I'm still trying to make a connection with my new half biological brothers, you know, and, and get to know their family. And who knows if this is ever going to happen or not, 
but I at least want to go to my grave knowing that I, I died trying, you know, trying to put an end to things and make the connections that should have been there. Yeah. Wow. That really, I know this, this podcast is really for other people, but uh, that also felt really personal to me just because I'm, I feel like I'm in a lifelong process of learning to form a better relationship with my intuition or even listen at all to my intuition and forgive myself for all the times I didn't. Um, that is like my number one, probably personal challenge for myself. So you saying that feels like a really loud message just to me. <laughs> I'm working on that right now, Jill. <laughs> me too. Me too. Me too. And we always will be, but Betty, you know, as, as well as I do that, that awareness is the first step. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we have to trust ourselves more and, you know, you, how many times have you heard that throughout your talks with everybody? Like, yeah. you know, like something just told me very, very rarely. I mean, you, you obviously do get people who say, I had no clue at all, you know, and God bless those people. I, I can't even imagine. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times you have those people who say, I just, you know, I knew there was mm -hmm. something off. Yeah. And yeah. In so many different mm -hmm. ways. Yeah. And, and it, and it goes to all situations. Like I can think of maybe, and maybe you relate to this too from your childhood, but there were things that weren't necessarily had anything to do with my NPE experience or existence. But there were other experiences in my life that that um, uh, further uh, other things in my life that uh, that also contributed to to not listening to my intuition. I don't know how else to say that. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a way, yeah, like yeah. things that contribute, you know, to this oppression of intuition of not listening to myself. Um, and the NPE yeah, thing so was one of, was one of them. It was one of them. And I, you know, I think we could probably chicken or chicken or the egg a little bit of that for me in my story. But yeah, so many things were off and and everybody was telling me they weren't. So why should I ever believe myself? Right? Isn't it amazing? And I mean, look at I too was guilty of literally building a case. I mean, I mm -hmm. was just collecting evidence anywhere that I could that, okay, she was obviously just a liar. And, you know, as tumultuous as our relationship was, and as narcissistic and, and crazy as she was, in the end, she's the only one who told me the truth. Right. Which is crazy. That's yeah, ironic. That's crazy. Yeah. I think that's irony. Isn't it ironic? And so in the meantime, you have this blog. And you have a, you have a website, but on the website there is a blog. You participate in podcasts. You're right. You have this book, um, "When the Apple Falls Far from the Tree," but you're working on a second book. So, if people want to connect with you, learn more about you, um, can I send them to your website? Do you want absolutely me to put all your information up? Great. So, tell me tell me how people should get to you. All right. Well, my website is justbeingjill.com. So that's easy enough. And all of my book information is right on there. There's a tab with links to Amazon and Barnes and Noble and, and, and the publisher that you can get it from. Um, also a little story about my pen name. I do write under the pen name Margot Riley because it's just easier. And I didn't do it for anonymity, but I did do it out of respect to the people of my story. You know, there's some really, really deep personal things in, in my first book. And I do believe it's an inspirational read for, 
for everybody, not just the NPE world, but for anybody. And yes, I'm currently working on the second book, When You Shake the Family Tree. And this will be a very detailed uh, book on my on my discovery and and all of the things that transpired since finding out. And, you know, it's a it's another book of hope and inspiration and, you know, just finding our way back to ourselves. And, and ultimately that self-love and self-loyalty is what it's all about. Yeah, so much. And of course, I'll have all that information up on my social media and my website when um, when the episode comes out. But I wanted to make sure people heard it from you first. And of course, I tell everybody this, but if you're listening to this and you didn't catch what Jill just said about how to get her information, just go to my website or contact me and I will make sure that you get the right information. I appreciate your sharing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on and telling your story. Thank like, you for hosting all of us. <laughs> we just got chapter, you know, we really, I, I mean, you writing a memoir notwithstanding, I feel like we just got chapter one. Before I go any further in this episode, I want to congratulate Jill for her first grandbaby. There have been some posts on Instagram, and that little nugget is exactly the kind of baby that makes my uterus ache. Uh, just a completely deliciously beautiful baby. It seems like Jill's in heaven. I hope that's true. Congrats to everyone in her family over there for that fun summer. I was going to say summer surprise. I don't think the baby was a surprise. Summer gift. Summer fun. Summer baby. Okay. To the subject at hand, of course. I want to thank Jill for coming on to share her story and for coining that turn of phrase, disgust and validation. See if you can find some ways to use that one in the next couple days. See how it feels. See if it's about anything political. Anyway, uh, we talked about it, but in case you didn't hear it the first time, if you want to know more about Jill and her projects, head over to her website, justbeingjill.com. Jill with a J, justbeingjill.com. Uh, I really hope she hangs around a while so I can get to know her better. And thank you for hanging around a while. This podcast is really, truly a labor of love, and I couldn't keep doing it without the support of listeners like you. And hey, 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 oh, I forgot to do a review of the week last week, so I have to do one now. OMG, okay. This listener wrote, she brings out the best in her interviews. I'm so grateful to have stumbled across her podcast at a time in my life when I'm trying to overcome the stigma I've placed on myself for being the dirty little secret. Thank you. Well, gosh, a listener wrote that in 2022. Thank you, listener. If you take one minute of your time and could review this podcast, I would be ever so grateful. And you too could be featured here as a review of the week. Do it. It feels so good. Trust me. I'm like a drug pusher, I'm like a review pusher. Just do it. Come on. And anyway, if you're looking for the journal or other ways to work on or read about DNA discoveries, other resources, or, you know, all the things, please go to my website, everythingsrelativepodcast.com. Follow me on Instagram and Facebook at everythingsrelativepodcast. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you can be the first to know when the next episode drops. Have your finger on the pulse. And in the meantime, go to the movies. It's air conditioned in there. Go see Oppenheimer and go see Barbie so you can talk about it with your friends at all the cocktail parties. Go to the dentist to maintain healthy oral hygiene. And remember, you never know what someone else is going through. So be kind. I'm Eve Sturgis. This is Everything's Relative Podcast. Bye-bye.
Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis is produced by Eve Sturgis and Kaylin Egan and edited by Joy Rumor. Logo designed by Ivy McNally and music is used with permission from Goodbye the Band. Eve is a licensed psychotherapist, but her podcast episodes are not therapy sessions. Thank you so much. I'm going to stop recording for uh well i would did i record this or you recorded it share screen uh-oh pause recording stop recording <laughs> like, what if i wasn't recording this <laughs>